The senior pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, and his wife came down sick with the latest variant of COVID, and uh, so you can pray for Marty, but if you're viewing online for the first time or you're here in the congregation, let me introduce myself. My name is Michael Cawley. Yeah, it sounds like the drink. It's just spelled differently because the Scottish could not spell, but uh, <laughs> the... Uh, I serve as the executive pastor here, and so I encourage you to come back here uh, when Dr. Baker is here. If you've never had the experience to hear him, you're in for a real treat. Truly one of the most gifted uh, teachers uh, of the scriptures that I've ever met in my uh, years here, and so I I offer that to you when you uh, come back. But uh, today, I'd like to have a few minutes with you, and I want to talk about experiencing Christ's spirit. Uh, when you look at the scriptures, there are some incredible promises. And I know that word incredible gets used all the time nowadays till it's practically meaningless, but it's never meaningless when you're talking about the things of God. Um, I'm not sure what Acts 4 has got to do with what I'm preaching about. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> But in John 14, he says something. Here's a promise of Christ to all of us. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And as I look through the pages of Scripture, I find that God does give incredible promises to Scriptures that somehow never seem to be a part or lived out in their daily lives. They're promises of God, but it gets short-circuited along the way so that it's not any way, shape, or form part of their day-to-day -day existence. Now, why are so many Christians powerless when a dying world desperately needs what we profess that we already have. Why doesn't the world, I mean, why doesn't the church make an impact in the world? Why is it that the culture seems to be unchanged by the church? Why is it that those we care about so much as our family and friends don't seem to be impacted by the faith that we say is so important to us? Certainly not in the way that the original disciples or the early 120 Christians that were gathered together, uh, praying together when Pentecost came, impacted their world. Why such a difference? Why do so many Christians struggle with the same sin or sins for years or even decades of their lives? And I would propose that it's because many Christians would like to have Christ's power over sin, his power in their life, his power to change family members or culture or even society, but they're really not interested in developing their relationship with him so that those results are an inevitability as it was with the original Christian when, Christians when the church started. They want to do great and wonderful things, at least they say they do, intellectually they do, but they haven't ever grasped the concept that the only way they're ever going to be able to do that is first by investing and developing a love relationship with Jesus Christ and learning to be filled and controlled 
by his spirit. Now, in any relationship, family, marriage, parent-child, work relationships you have, if all I do is see what I can get from that relationship, if all I do is make sure that somehow I'm coming out okay, then it's a very immature relationship, quite selfish at the best. Now, why would we think that a relationship with God is any different than the ones that we experience with people day by day, those in our family, those that we know? When you think about it, God has always existed in perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In a sense, he invented true relationship. And he even initiated it with humans there in the garden with the first man and the first woman. Sin entered into the picture and into the relationship, and we've struggled with true relationship, including relationship with God, ever since. And so I think of Satan as a master strategist, that the most important thing he can do is a disinformation campaign to keep you from understanding the gift of salvation is a free gift of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But if he loses that battle, if you've already become a Christian, if you've already been forgiven, then the very next hill that he's willing to die on is make sure you totally do not understand a thing about how to live the spirit-filled life. You know, the truth is, if people knew, if Christians in particular knew what it was that was available to them as far as power, wisdom, abilities, and all through the Spirit of Christ in their life, they would stop everything. They would scour the scriptures. They would seek how to be filled with the Spirit. And for many of them, it would be the very first time in their life, maybe even if they've been a Christian for decades, that they finally experience an authentic Christian experience. I think about that because there's always a thing, you know, you get to be my age, and if somebody uh, did an infomercial saying, look, you want to have more hair, you want to lose some weight, you want to get your muscles from the 20s back, you just have to eat raw asparagus every day, three times a day. You wouldn't find any asparagus on the shelves of the grocery store. Everybody would do it. It's like, that's what I got to do. Okay, you know. The only way to live the Christian life is through Christ living it through his spirit in you. You have no hope. You had no hope of saving yourself. You had no hope of doing anything to be able to merit heaven. He did it for you. He came and he lived for over 30 years and never sinned once so he could be the perfect sacrifice for you. You didn't do a thing, so you can't lose it after you accept it. It was never dependent on you in the first place. So why do we suddenly think, well, okay, I have Christ in my life, but I better pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps. I better get my act together. I better go on. You have no Hope. I'm, I'm probably not communicating. Let me say that again. You have no hope of living the Christian life. Only one person has ever done it. Christ in you has the potential to live a Christian life through you. So when I look at some of the promises 
I do find that word incredible to be an appropriate word. Look at some things that he says here out of John 16, 7. He says this statement. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, in our mind, we think, how can that possibly be true? If, you know, how can it possibly be better not to be personally with Christ? Did he make a mistake? <laughs> he just said, this is better. Instead of 12 of y'all getting to be with me at a time, 120 of you following me, maybe on a day when I'm doing a fish and chips thing, feeding 13,000 uh, people, now it's millions of Christians all around the world all the time. It's better that the helper come. It's better that I send him. Look at another thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that's familiar to many of you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Are you a new Creation, or are you just a more tired version of yourself? New things? What new things? I'm completely forgiven. No longer viewed as a sinner by God. No longer viewed as an enemy of God. I have the mind of Christ now. Whereas before, my mind was darkened and futile. I have spiritual gifts that he distributes among the body as he wants to for the building up that body. Are you new? Or are you just a more ragged version of what you've always been? Look at it. I, this is one that, you know, I, I just wonder sometimes when you read the scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful. So he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also so that you're able to endure it. I mean, when you stop and read that and really let it sink in, did he just get a little carried away in his enthusiasm as God? Did he kind of overstate the case? Because he seems to just say, because of Christ's spirit in you, for the first time in your life, you actually have the power not to ever sin again. You don't do it because you like sinning as much as I do, but you have the power. I mean, it doesn't stutter there. There's nothing that's overtaken you, but such as is common. And he's going to provide a way of escape if you'll take it. But we don't. It's an incredible promise. You know, whenever I look at words like that, I'm just amazed. So sometimes I think, well, I guess that could be an interpretation, but I mean, some people might not think that that's a correct interpretation. So then he says it again, a different way. Galatians 5.16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit. Why? You will not carry out the desire of flesh. Oh my gosh, there it is again. You've got this power inside of you that you never had before you were a Christian. Maybe you're not ever availing of that power. Because if you did, then you would start living a life that looks like Christ. 
Galatians 2.20, look at what it says. Paul talks about it in his own life. I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer me living, it's Christ living that Christian life through me. If I get the cart and the horse right in the spiritual sense. Quit trying to live the Christian life in my own power, which is a failure to begin with. Let that same spirit of Christ live through me. You know, you look at the example of the Gospels of Jesus and the way he lived. That's what he did. It's what he did his entire life. That's how he was able not to sin. That's how he was able to fulfill his mission and do everything that his father wanted him to do. He would say things like that after he'd been baptized. You look at the scriptures and it says he was led into the wilderness, led by the Spirit. That's a phrase for the way he lived his life, always under the leadership of the Spirit. He would say... I can't do anything except what my father wants me to do. I can't say anything except what my father wants me to say. How did that bear out? Well, sometimes when you would see him and he'd be walking, he would have a sense of God working because he's being led by the Spirit. So he would look up and see a short guy up in a tree named Zacchaeus when it made no sense to quit walking because of some guy up in a tree just because he's short. And he'll stop and he'll say, Zacchaeus, come down. I got to have lunch with you today and another person comes into the kingdom but other times he'd be healing and then they would see him going away praying uh, during the night alone the disciples would come the next day any preacher's dream hey the whole town's coming out they brought everybody else they want to see you again and he'd say we have other places to go and it says he walked away he was led by the spirit the Spirit's living through him. He's doing his Father's will perfectly, moment by moment. You see that when you compare and contrast the early lives of the disciples. Before Pentecost, they are pretty self-centered, always seeking a prominent position for themselves, always arguing and bickering about something. Peter boasting that I would go to prison, yea, I would even die for you. A little bit later, everybody's running away as fast as they can, terrified for themselves, watching like cowards while Jesus is being tortured, tried in a kangaroo court, and killed. But after his resurrection and his appearance to them, he gives them very specific guidance about the Spirit of Christ, about the Holy Spirit. He tells them, he gathers them together, and he says, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power, something you guys have been woefully inadequate at so far. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Did it work like that when they obeyed? When they started letting the Spirit of Christ, which is now inside them, live through them instead of them trying to act on their own strength?
and stuff, it says in the scriptures, noted that they were uneducated and untrained, but it still says that those same opponents marveled at these men. Later on in the book of Acts, talking about these cowardly men before Pentecost, before the Spirit started living through them, it says they've turned the world upside down. Who? A bunch of scaredy cat, untrained, uneducated fishermen stuff? Yes, they've turned the world upside down. Now, the interesting thing to me is that the Christian life, as we're describing it here in first centuries, didn't have a time lapse, didn't have a suspense. It's available to every believer. It's not just to those of us who are called to ministry. It's not just for spiritual giants. It's especially not for that. It's for sinning Christians. It's for those who feel like I've been living a fake sham and a failure of a Christian life my entire life. I've never known a sense of power and victory like you're talking about. It's for those who learn to come to Christ daily, hourly, minute by minute, confessing sins when the Holy Spirit convicts you of it and then receiving him in the rightful place in your life as the controller, as the driver of your life. Because you already have the Holy Spirit inside your life if you're a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, 5, I love the practicality of the scripture, says that he gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, like a car. That's what it says. He put the Holy Spirit in your life as a down payment, as a deposit of future glorious things that are still to come when you go to be with him. But not just in the sweet by and by. Good things that could come now if you choose to let that spirit operate through you, moment by moment. Jesus described it when he was talking to his disciples as a branch that's connected to a true vine so that the life of the vine can flow out and be exhibited through that branch, through the fruit that you see. John 15, 5, look at it again. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of significance apart from me. So it's a matter of who's in control of your life moment by moment. You? How's that working for you? Or Christ's spirit? Who's steering your life? The same spirit who led Jesus and worked through him is the same spirit that Christ has sent to us and makes available to us. So let's end with some application. How are you filled or controlled by the Spirit? How do you do it? Well, first, have a relationship with Christ through his Spirit. And as I already said, it's no different than any other relationship. You spend time talking with Christ. That's simply called prayer in the Christian world. Things you're concerned about, things you want, people you love, things you're frightened by. Talk to him about it. He longs to listen to you. He longs for those who will draw near to him. Then you listen to him. That's called looking at the word of God every day in your life. It can be as brief as 15 minutes, but it's amazing how he will suddenly speak straight to you from those passages of scripture. If you've never done that, I encourage you to start with something like one of the gospels of Christ. 
Just start reading it and listening for him to talk directly to you as you pray and as you then listen to him talk to you through the word. And then you spend time serving him like you would in any relationship. Laura and I will sometimes have a race to see who can get to the bed to make it first as a way of serving one another. She, uh, by faith, uh, puts up with me cooking two meals a week uh, for her as a way of serving her. She serves me much more by cooking a lot more meals than that. <laughs> Service to Christ is in his church. You have the spirit of Christ already in you as a deposit. He gives spiritual gifts as he wants to. Every single person in here has a spiritual gift that God has given you. He gave it to you for one reason, to build up his church and serve his church. You're either obedient or you're disobedient. I, I, I can't shine that one up for you. You're either doing what you're supposed to do with that spiritual gift or you're disobedient. So first you have a relationship with him. Prayer, the word, serving in his church. Then you ask him to fill you or control you. And that's a faith walk. It's no different than when you receive salvation, when you receive forgiveness. You asked him to come into your life, some of you. You asked him to forgive you for your sins, some of you. Some of you just believe that he died for me. I believe that. I accept that. He, the innocent, died for me, the guilty. Nowhere in that transaction did you get a ticket stub, seat 1C in heaven. <laughs> it's a faith transaction. You believe that he forgave you based on the word of what he promised to do. You got no tangible proof that when you close your eyes for the last time here in this life, that you immediately go into the presence of the Lord. It's a faith journey that you're on it is the same for the filling of the spirit you ask him to fill you and control you and you believe that he is going to do that you ask him to do it day by day hour by hour moment by moment when I first began to start to grasp this and I was studying the life of Christ of how did he do that how did he live the life that I want to live so much I would see that it was moment by moment, depending on the spirit that was leading him. Now, true confessions, what I find is the more I try to walk moment by moment being led by the spirit, I end up confessing a whole lot more sin than I ever used to or something, because suddenly I'm a lot more aware as the spirit is leading me that, Michael, you class A jerk. Oh my gosh, <laughs> how rude have you been to that person? Go and ask them to forgive you for even saying something that rough to them. You know, I find confession becomes a part of that moment-by-moment moment walk with me. But when I do sin and I confess, which is just agreeing with him, that, yes, I did wrong, I sinned, I failed to do what I should have done, I did what I shouldn't have done, then instantly my relationship with him is made right, just like in a family. Between Laura and me after 41 years of marriage, if I will admit, honey, I did it again, I was so wrong or something. She's quick to forgive. God is even quicker to forgive. The more I do this day after day, the more I walk in the power of the Spirit, the more he uses me for his purposes, his plans. So can we turn the world upside down again? No. 
Can he? Yes. Through what? Through us. You know how he describes us? You know, I, I appreciate the fact that he loves us enough that he tells us the truth. You, you read in the epistles to the Corinthians that we're all a bunch of cracked earthen vessels with the glory of God inside of it. That's the best he can say about you. You're all a bunch of cracked pots along with me. That's, that's it. But you've got the glory of God inside of you that as you are led by the Spirit, that glory of God can change a family member, can change a world. You know, it's funny. We should be able to do things as the apostles did that are outside their comfort zone, that are beyond what we think are just our natural abilities. When Marty and I started texting this morning at 4.30 that he came up hot on a COVID test, and uh, it's like, uh, can you preach? <laughs> the simple answer is, you know, in myself, whoa, that's not much time. You know, let me, let me, you know, I've been preaching for years. Let me find a, an old sermon somewhere. Oh, yeah, they like this one. This went over well before. Let, <laughs> let's, uh, let's do that. The spirit-filled life kind of challenged me. You going to go in there? You going to write a sermon from scratch? Blank computer screen in front of you. You going to write a sermon? Oh, yeah, nobody on the staff is there. So uh, you going to do your own slides? Don't hold that against Jake, what you saw <laughs> this morning. <laughs> but that's the spirit-filled life beyond your comfort zone. You, know, you have to decide uh, how well the Spirit did through me this morning. I know my part was trust Him, be filled with the Spirit, let Him work through me this morning. I pray that He did. Let's pray together. We give you thanks, Almighty God, that you have given us your Spirit. We will be with you. Until then, you are always with us. Help us to learn moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day to be filled with the spirit of christ and may we change those we love and our world in the name of christ we pray amen